because if people realize why it's important, why it's solving a problem, why it helps people, they will find a way to research and find the right information. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another Wild User Interviews podcast with me, IVB. Today, I am thrilled to have with me Elena Obukova, the co-founder of Supermoon. The Supermoon Empire is bringing together founders, investors, and leading professionals with a mission to elevate the Web3 space. Welcome, Elena. Hello, everyone, and thank you for having me here. I am so happy to have you. It's been a super long week and it is barely Tuesday, so I could not think of a better thing to do right now other than talk to you. Yeah, it's for sure. It's a very long week, especially when everyone is preparing for Denver. I'm really scared and at the same time excited for what's going to happen there. Is it the kind of scared like you're going up a roller coaster and you're probably not going to die and you're probably going to have a good time, but it's still scary, like excitement, or is it like a different kind of scared? Maybe similar to a roller coaster, but at the same time, there are a lot of things going on in the preparation. So it's also, I would say sometimes terrifying, scary, because you don't know how things going to come out. We always do our best and we always deliver highest quality, but what we always scared it's to have a gigantic line when it's winter in Denver. <laughs> and we want to make sure we can manage the experience and the crowd. See, that happened to me. I lined up for over an hour to try to get into an event I did not have a ticket to. And the person that I was with told me that he knew someone who could get us in. Turns out he jumped the fence and ran for it. So he got in. I didn't. And... Well into the hour, I am pretty sure I've lost like nerves on my toes and feet. I was freezing to death. But what I was wondering was, whose fault is this? Is it the organizer's fault for not managing capacity or the line or whatever the case is? Or is it my fault because I am an idiot? I went into a massive snowfall, whatever the, the snow thunderstorm it's called, with no appropriate shoes. Not really any appropriate winter clothing. I flew in from Australian summer and I didn't have a ticket. I think that you may be too harsh on yourself as an organizer. I've been to some of your past events and they're all great. I think you have a great team or somehow you multitask in magical ways. But we may be getting ahead of ourselves. Why don't you start telling us a bit more about what Supermoon is and some of the events that you've held in the past. What is actually coming up for East Denver slash near Denver. We actually are the events that always gathering a huge line <laughs> and a lot of people without tickets trying to get in. So I don't know. You were on the list for our previous events. <laughs> so you didn't need to worry. But I remember in consensus, people actually found out the back door and they were climbing through the fence. <laughs> to get that was my friend. <laughs> Mike, if you're listening, shout out to you. <laughs> It's funny because the joke for is this if Denver is, especially for the opening part that Nier is hosting, somebody was like, oh, everybody RSVP'd. And I was like, no, I'm going to show up to the door drunk already and be like, do you know who I am? That's Vails. how I show up I to mean, events. <laughs> I never have a ticket. <laughs> Correct. But and they may not know who you are, but they should. And if they did, they'd let you in. So let's get back to you and all the work that you're doing with Supermoon. 
Supermoon actually started as a hobby project. We co-founded it together with Chris Michael. Chris Michael also been in crypto for quite a while, from 2009, more on a, I would say on a personal level, and started getting involved on a professional level when we started building Supermoon. We all traveled to crypto events. And what we were tired of is making high-level connections, meeting people and the next day forgetting completely who these people are. So we wanted to elevate this experience. We wanted to have a place where everyone stay together under one roof and they can enjoy their personal space, but at the same time, they can network and build relationships in the common areas. So we kicked off with Miami Art Basel in 2021. We gathered 20 people. We all stayed together. And after that, people wanted to travel with Supermoon all the time. So we started growing. That makes perfect sense to me. And for anyone that has attended a crypto conference, has probably had that mixed feeling between it can be both overwhelming socially because it's just that many people and a little bit isolating because it's just that many people that you don't even know who to connect or what to connect. And it's hard to keep track. I made a mistake at East Denver because... When people added each other on Telegram, they were taking selfies. So you remember who the person is. Because in front of you, easy to tell people have like personal features. But on Telegram, they're all the same bloody PFPs with like weird pseudonym names. And you're like, who is, I don't know, sexy yeah. cat, meow, meow. So I should have taken the selfies. There's a lot to be said, not just about creating deeper connections, but also trying to curate. There's going to be 15,000 people at East Denver. How can you try to get groups of people that have interests in common to try to nice. get rid of the small talk? We already know that we have certain things in common and hopefully make the most out of the experience. Yeah, there is another problem as well. It's too many side events. People just don't know where to go. And I remember even in Miami, it was so difficult to navigate because there are 40 side events at the same time. So you have no idea where you're supposed to be, where is a good quality event is, and where is a good network, or like networking opportunity is. We started also to curate this experience. So we recommend which side events are good and for what kind of reasons. So if you're looking for funding, there is an event organized by VCs or that are looking for startups. If you're looking for partnerships or there might be an event, then I start to another company that is gathering different types of platforms and professionals slash C-level executive from multiple protocols and platforms where you can build these connections. So I think curated experience is like a second important part of friends experience. I'm really curious. Maybe you've told me in the past, how did you meet Chris? I met him actually at a, at a crypto event. It was when I just arrived to New York, there was a Web3 or like NFT, I, I forgot what was the event. But yeah, I met Chris and he comes from an entertainment background. He's very well-versed. I would say like in the similar topics that I personally like to discuss is our decentralization, self-custody, more libertarian types. And we had more conversations, but then I saw when he was helping to organize one of my events before, he just, yeah, because he was a mess. Like I was never running an offline event, so I wasn't sure about small details. So he jumped in, he started helping us. <laughs> to curate this experience. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> that skill is must have because if you want to have a quality event, you have to know 
how to produce IRL events. And you have to know all the details that comes with staffing, curating, different, I don't know, like even catering or insurance. That sometimes it's not obvious to other event organizers, but even if you're a small event organizer, you want to think about all little details. It's actually really complicated. I remember when I first arrived in Australia, I attempted a couple of times to host a party. And if you can think of a party hosted by college students, the stakes are very low. It was basically like, open the door, share the address and get alcohol. It was the most stressful experience. The house was getting destroyed. We ran out of toilet paper. It was a huge mess. And that's when I really started to appreciate all the level of detail that goes into organizing an event. If you think of a traditional product, you think of the user flow from A to B. And all the steps along the way, you have contextual information. You try to reduce friction. I would imagine that for an event, you almost have to do that user flow for every guest. When they arrive, who gets there late, who doesn't have a ticket, the speaker experience, all the staff, are they trained? Like, there's just so many moving variables. Do you enjoy it? I enjoy it and I hate it at the same time. There you go. I'm laughing. I'm always laughing. Because events are, is a lot of stress. We're not, Supermoon is not only about events. It's one part of things that we do, like to activate all the meaningful relationships and relationship building. We're stepping more towards education and more, I would say, taking focus more on helping future generation of founders to build their projects and get access to resources, network and funding. And events, of course, it's a platform where they can meet and get access to all these resources. Of course, in-person connections are crucial. So, yes, that's a part of what I enjoy it. But at the same time, if you see behind the scenes, you will understand it's crazy. <laughs> I can imagine the funny thing is that for this podcast, I messaged Elena like five minutes beforehand and I was like, do you have an alcoholic beverage? And she's, I'm not drinking till Friday. And I'm like, okay, I need one. Shout out to BBC, Bogota Brewing Company. Oh, it paying you? No, no one pays me, but I am always looking for sponsors. If you're amazed at how good I am at promoting these companies, BBC sales are probably going to go through the roof. This one is meant to have honey. It doesn't taste like honey at all, but it doesn't matter. It's really good that you reminded me that the Supermoon stack is actually way broader than events. What I was going to mention, the second element that I like is that not only are you guys playing to your strengths, it may be events, it may be New York City. There could be a few things that you bring from your background. What I really enjoyed when you mentioned that you both share that same libertarian cypherpunk appeal, because when we met in Portugal, for a moment, it wasn't clear to me. It wasn't sure if you were just like an operator. It's like, uh -huh. I organized a hacker house and everyone in, everyone out, there is an experience. But the more that I get to know you, I've really enjoyed to really peel the layers to really understand what drives you. Like, what are you coming from? The way that I see it, and I love you if you could expand on it, I can see you and Chris really using Supermoon as that well-oiled machine, which can actually help drive a much larger course. It's not the event, it's not the publication, it's not any one thing in particular. There really is like a North Star. Would you be able to comment on that? 
So when it comes to our mission of our entire Supermoon group, so Supermoon group is a actual umbrella underneath our, this umbrella, we have Supermoon ca camp station. And later this year, we are launching academy and foundation. The main mission of our Supermoon group is to help builders and founders to build projects, enabling personal and financial freedom. We want to focus on initial value behind crypto and behind Bitcoin when it was firstly created. Whereas we started noticing a lot of people who are coming to crypto, they're completely disconnected. I'm coming across people who are saying we need more regulations, crypto should be regulated. And for me, that's personally, I always find it a complete outrage. I'm sorry for the strong wording, but it is. And I've been on the panel just like a month ago in New York, and there were two other people. They were trying to prove a point why regulations and crypto are so important. It was the best panel like in, in my life, probably. <laughs> was that the one <laughs> with SBFs? No. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't there. <laughs> you can't comment on anything anymore. We have one thing in common. I grew up in Venezuela. And I migrated to Australia and for me, it may have been more extreme because I studied law and I had to routinely explain to people that just because things work now doesn't mean that we don't have it within ourselves, humans, to be fucking assholes and to go off path and to do crazy shit. So the system needs to be resilient and even in recent times, I would argue that we've really seen many tests to the system, quote unquote, and that blind reliance and regulation may actually, I'm not going to say it's misguided because we didn't really have any other tools up until now, but if you're presented with a technology that can potentially improve on that, why would you still try to run back to the old system? to limit the new technology reach. I'm wondering if you feel comfortable sharing more of the life paths that make you realize that crypto has a strong role in the future. I know that you've lived in one too many places around the world, actually, for me not to have a strong suspicion you're actually a spy. So I'm not a spy, just for a <laughs> But yeah, I lived in nine countries and I was originally born in Russia. And a lot of people in Russia have seen and experienced personally that regulations are not designed to help people. They're not working to create our business. They're just creating more obstacles or they're creating more complications and more loopholes for oligarchs and rich individuals who are enriching themselves because of for other friends, politicians to accelerate more wealth. So it's not giving an opportunity for fair competition for other people to create businesses and grow businesses. And there are so many examples when Russian entrepreneurs would build their great project. And in one moment, the government comes and indirectly ask you to sell a major share. I mean, it was a government, of course, but to, our like to another corporation with a government participation. Of course, it's not like Putin is not coming to you and saying, hey, give me some shares. But that's the case. And that's how, unfortunately, it had been working in Russia. And if you're saying no, then you better flee 
the next moment you say no, because otherwise you will end up in jail and your company will be still taking away from you. The same case is in China. I spent there three and a half years. I've seen same story happening when big tech is coming after your startup and demanding exactly the same. If you don't sell it, in this case, you most likely, like you not necessarily go to prison, but next day you will lose your company either way because the government will pass more beneficial regulations for corporations that will just replicate your business and will continue doing it without your participation. And your startup is simply that. I've seen it many times on a business side. And when it comes on a personal side, I think like my eyes became wide open when I went to Argentina. I went there for actually like one month and a half or two months with one-way ticket, planning to stay there a little bit and then travel somewhere else. Ended up staying there for a year and a half. And I was impressed by first, like a first person who I met in Buenos Aires was an Uber driver who couldn't really speak English. I don't really speak Spanish still, but I asked him if he knows about the currencies, like Bitcoin. And he was like, yes, I have Bitcoin, I have Ethereum, I have Litecoin. And that was impressive. I was like, wow, like it's the first person I met and he not only know about crypto, but he has crypto. And I started asking every single person since I arrived there and they all know about crypto and majority of them have crypto. And then I started realizing how countries was completely destroyed economy when they were actually scammed by the government, by the banks, by all the regulators. You don't need to explain to these people why banks are not working. You don't need to explain why centralized just a bad. They know it. You, they don't need explanations. And that's why it was very sad coming here to the United States and hearing people pushing for regulation, saying it's better, not really understanding the role crypto plays in everyday life. At least like for now, things changed. It's interesting that you have covered two very large countries with relatively big economies and very unique experiences. And then like across the world, Argentina, probably also in the basket of countries that have more pronounced issues in Argentina, Venezuela, there's a few there, but the core essence, which is humans are corruptible. And the moment that you realize that by writing something into law, you'll legitimize anything that you want. And then you can mobilize the entire forces of the state to enforce that will, things are more likely to go wrong than to uphold. It's interesting that even if you go to the independence of the United States, they enshrined in the constitution, the ability to have weapons because they knew that even though they were getting rid of one monarch and whatever grievances they had at the time, they were aware that at any one time whomever took power could potentially go rogue. And if shit hits the fan, the only way to revert back is for people to stand up for what they believe in. The main challenge that I see, and that's why I really like the Supermoon mission, is what is the message about crypto that is getting out to people? Is the message cryptocurrency is going to make you rich, go buy some bonk or go buy some apes? Or cryptocurrency has the ability to create new systems 
of trust between people and fundamentally create not only a new form of internet, which I believe it's the future of the internet, but even restructure the societies at the core. It can start very little, but restructure them at the core. It's also like the point who dictate most of the trends in media right now when it comes to English speaking countries and our audience are that knows English. It's the United States. A lot of media companies are coming from the United States. A lot of our large influencers with huge following are coming from the United States. And these people who don't understand there are the problems are that citizens of Argentina or other countries have, these people don't have access to financing. And uh, the problem that they see is that what you said, the message that we're sending to people. And now a lot of message that is coming to the masses about crypto adds quick gains, investment, even if you're trying to YouTube, let's say you're looking more information about a certain protocol, you want to learn more about near protocol, or you want to learn about those stars that have been in the news like for like entire last week and this week too. You're trying to find this information and instead of getting educational content, you see all this investment tips or tech analysis, how to quickly get earnings from crypto. That's not what crypto is about. Yes, their investment videos is a good content and drives a lot of attention. But for me, it's really frustrating to see that just everything in the search feed is related to quick gains, investment strategies, and all these term solutions. Instead of explaining what it is, why is it important, comparing, let's say, near protocol to other existing blockchains, comparing other ecosystems, explaining what every single technical term is. Because for most of people, it's just their gibberish. They don't understand what, like, even when it comes to near protocol with sharding, it's really complex <laughs> term just to throw at people. <laughs> that don't the understanding of sharding as a word is so shallow that my good friends at the Ready Layer One podcast had a series called Who Sharded? And YouTube banned it. <laughs> I don't know exactly. I mean, to be fair, Who Sharded sounds dirty. <laughs> but they have to rename it. And it's funny because I actually got a sticker on my computer that says Who Sharded? And I guess it's now a vintage OG or rare or whatever you want to call it. But I, I love I it. With a few. <laughs> what I think is interesting is you could probably be able to map out your customer segments on the media available to them. And that's where I think that our content comes in. Because if we use another example, I know that you and I both consume a lot of content that is richer, deeper. We're both investing a lot of our time and resources into incrementing that type of content. And even though it's not mass consumption by any means, it is interesting to see that the people who are consuming it now really value it. I think it's slowly spreading. I'd like to think that with each crisis, we're able to reach another layer of the onion. So yeah, I'm really curious to see how you think of those onboarding cycles, considering all the different communities and societies you've been involved with, all the experience in producing events and content. When it comes to onboarding is also broken. We're trying to scream so loud. You need it. You have to do it. It will help you. You will earn money. You will protect your funds. You will protect your data. First of all, no one needs it. Like people don't really understand it. When it comes to my personal public presentations and I started doing workshops, I changed strategy completely. 
I decided that I would rather focus for 20 or 30 minutes on why, explaining why instead of explaining what or where to find information. Because if people realize why it's important, why it's solving a problem, why it helps people, they will find a way to research and find the right information. So I think crypt lacks these basics on delivering our values. We're trying to educate what crypto is, but we're not really teaching like why crypto, why it exists. And that's I think when we start having a lot of disconnection in the crypto space and people believing in completely opposite things from what initial values were, they started again pitching for regulations without understanding how it can work and what were the initial principles. Coin was designed to, to help people to not only get access to financing, but to disconnect money from the government. It was to give people the power and give them financial freedom, give them financial independence from the institutions. And there is a lack of explanation why it was even necessary. Because still, if we look at the United States, most of people will say, but it's easier to use Venmo or bank. And I started having also random conversations with people outside of crypto. Of course, I want to see why they think this way, why they prefer banking and what can be a decision, like a deal breaker for them to switch into crypto and take ownership over their finances. And I had a conversation also with Overdriver. I was like, it's a thing. I'm practicing <laughs> my beliefs and the strategies on Overdrivers. He was interested in crypto. I, I told that I was speaking at event, a crypto event in LA, and he was interested. So he started asking me more about crypto. And he said, I have some Bitcoin on Robinhood. And I was like, oh, no, no, you don't have a Bitcoin if you have it on Robinhood. And I explained within 10 minutes, I explained in a really basic concept why, what's the difference between centralized ex exchanges and dis decentralized ones. And he understood that if anything happens, if he stores money on Robinhood, it can be taken away from him by the government, by the institution, by Robinhood, by whoever else, because these funds doesn't belong to him. And it didn't take a long time. Just the fear of understanding that this money can actually be gone, made him realize, and he said he will do more research on cold wallets and how to take our ownership and custody of over his assets. And there are a lot of people with these examples and personal need that is there, but they don't really realize what is happening. And there are a lot of buzz around media with FTX, as they're trying also to equalize to Bitcoin and equalized to all other crypto. People hear it on the media, but they don't hear an alternative version and they don't understand that at the same time, a crypto helps our people to do remittances and it's the best way for them to send money back to their families. It helps them to save their funds in Argentina to make sure that they can protect themselves against inflation. And there are so many use cases that of course, most media will never talk about, but it's also a part of our mission to try to get this message out to the crowds, to people who don't know it. Mainstream media are definitely not friends. That's why we have this podcast, my YouTube channel, why I'm part of the marketing DAO, and we try to empower people that are able to create content and establish a platform. The problem that I see is that we have the general population 
being influenced negatively by the media. But what I've always liked about tech is that it doesn't matter what the narrative is, you can build it. You can show people. It doesn't matter how many fat, bald dudes you put on TV claiming that Bitcoin can be minted past 21 million. It physically can't. And there are many of these claims that you can prove. I think that we need to focus on that smaller subset of people that are in a position to actually take action. They may be developers, they may be industry experts, because the masses are going to be vulnerable to the mainstream narrative until there are products and services that they can use. I'm actually really excited because I'm going to Buenos Aires on Saturday and I'm very much looking forward to experiencing how much crypto has grown. And for me, a key message that I'd like to take over and see how it scales is there are more things that we can build now. Because my thesis is Argentinians and Venezuelans, amongst other countries that have had a lot of inflation, they've really done remarkably well considering how much friction there is and how many limitations the current system have. Ethereum is expensive as fuck. Everything else, the onboarding is horrible. Bridges are like a very new phenomena. If they've done that well with the very early primitives, I'm extremely excited to see what they could do with something like near protocol or other modern blockchains. Because these people don't give a fuck. The hurdle of you respect the government and you're afraid, you're controlled, you sit passively and are told what to do. They're way past that. It's a young country. It's got talented people. What happens if we put the tools in their hands? I think that kind of brings us nicely back to Superman, right? How do we identify that smaller subset of people that are in the best position possible to take action? Absolutely. And when you are talking about the smaller groups of people, so I have personally maybe a slightly different vision, still like same but different. I feel there right now, if we're trying to persuade older generations to switch and realize crypto, if they never did, if they never had this necessity or need, I think it's wasting a lot of time and resources when the generations that will actually make moves and more innovations is the next generation. I'm talking about Gen Z and I'm talking about the other generations after Gen Z, like Alpha, Beta, and whatever else will be created afterwards. So with Supermoon, and that's also one of the purpose and missions why we're launching Academy and Foundation, we want to focus on the future founders. And underneath Foundation, we will have a specifically created future founders DAO that will focus on not only educating and providing resources to a next generation of builders and founders, but also explaining the values. Because still, our overall mission is to enable projects to build, to create tools that are enabling personal and financial freedom. We want to stick to this mission and we want to focus on the next generation. Because these people can make a difference. These people will be growing, they will be creating more projects, and they will be leading next trends, creating next trends. Not they will leading, they will be creating new trends. And I just hope they will be <laughs> towards the freedom. History repeats itself. How can we reconcile that a 70-year-old remembers shit 
and there's been proper shit during the last 70 years of their life, especially depending on where they've lived. How can we reconcile the uh, grandpa story as boring and repetitive as the delivery may be? There is a lot of wisdom and experience there. How can we reconcile that with a Gen Z that is full of energy and full of ideas, but maybe perhaps because they lack that understanding of history, they are pretty concerningly actually going straight into the exact same patterns that caused an insane amount of struggle and suffering only 40, 50, 60 years ago. Is there going to be a history component as part of the principles component? History is also a very interesting subject because history is written by people. And in many cases, by people who didn't experience this history, but trying to interpret this history from other books, other people's experience. And that's when we're creating a lot of gap, miscommunication and misleading information. There are so many, I would say, articles or historic books that are presenting certain things as facts when they're actually not. That also comes to how we present the history. I had a teacher, like a history teacher back in the primary or secondary school back in the days. And I really liked her approach because she said, we're not going to have a book. We're going to actually read the original correspondence, letters, any other types of correspondence, facts from other older books from these times and compare them. And I think when it comes to history, it's very important to present it in a way that is not being presented as a fact and you just should learn it by heart and take it as a granted. History should be as a case study that provokes you to think, provokes you to think and also provokes you to, I would say, even consider that it might be false. You have to think about it. You have to analyze it. And... That's a part of uh, what Supermoon started doing, not with the older generation yet, but I think it's an interesting area to consider and incorporate into our educational course is our economy or finance-related experiences from the past, way before crypto was existing. We started asking every single person during interview about their personal journey, what brings them to crypto space. And I think all these personal stories create a really interesting and impactful a series of use cases of real individuals. So when you, let's say as a newcomer, will be watching an other individual with a similar problem, exploring crypto and explaining to you what was the onboarding process for this person, it makes it easier for you to understand, relate, and look for ways how you can onboard and start learning about it. So I think that's an important part to learn from older generations. Because if we remember, internet started also decentralized, but somehow people came in the place and messed it up. And that's exactly the same saying I see with crypto. It's getting completely messed up. Instead of moving towards decentralization, we're moving backwards. And Aptos was a good example. I'm still really shocked by lack of transparency in tokenomics by level of centralization and level of craziness as that exists on the market. I am painfully aware that I say interesting a few thousand times in the podcast. I actually tried to edit it out, but something truly interesting just happened. We actually arrived at the exact same point 
but we came at it from two separate ends without realizing it. As you were talking, I realized that when I referred about the importance to share the history, I was actually alluding to that lived experience. The 70-year-old man that has lived through things and can tell you things, most likely that history hasn't been captured. And that's actually why this podcast is called The Wild User Interviews, because we want to try to document that lived experience and that knowledge of all the people out there in the field doing great stuff that most likely it's not been captured about. And yeah, we do go for a little bit long, but we try to go that layer deeper because there's just a lot of wisdom that it's not being captured. So I love that you are aware that the winner writes the history books and you don't even have to be that old. Like the last two or three years teach you that history is malleable and history is always a tool to justify the future. Whatever you want to do over the next five years, if you want to win an election, you want to pass a law, whatever the case may be, they start playing with the order of event, the rationale behind. So they're going to say, look, okay, that happened, but it happened because of A. And you're like, the fuck are you talking about? Every single day up until that event, you were adamant about this very strong other position. So I think that is 100% the right approach. That is the cypherpunk approach. Trust, but verify. You don't need somebody else to write the bloody history book for you. You need to be able to deconstruct and go back to first principles. That critical thinking is definitely missing from society these days. Are there any of those core crypto principles that you think everyone should know? For me, as a core principle, again, in the values of crypto, I would say money, like, the government money were designed for government officials, right? It was in the Bitcoin standard. I really like this saying. And I think that's a core principle of crypto is that this money that are designed for people. And I think that's like a core ideology. Is there separation of money from power? Because if you separate money from the government, cannot be doing all these things. They cannot simply go for a war because they will have to now demand or fundraise money from other individuals that will have a power to say no. Now it's not the case. Self-empowerment, that's a core principle behind crypto that we should keep. And everything else, like not your keys, not your crypto, it comes as a, it comes afterwards. It comes as a, as a tool. I would say not afterwards. It comes as a tool. It's how you enable it. It shouldn't be a hard concept to grasp. It always comes down to the level of abstraction. I grew up in Venezuela. Our local government is shit. So you abstract to a higher level, which was a USD. And for a Venezuelan, a USD is sweet. Cash is still king. People in Venezuela save in dollars and now spend in dollars. Like the level of dollarization of the country is so high. The government actually introduced a special tax just for transactions in USD. In the strangest of ways, people are now trying to go back to the local currency just to save on the tax of the dollar. Like, it, as bizarre as it may sound, like, huh, strange, a country with two, three, four currencies and prices and all these very natural ways of doing things and heaps of friction. But at the same time, when you understand what's happening in the country, it makes perfect sense. Why would anyone not do it? The value proposition of doing it versus not doing it is so clear. 
The interesting thing is that there's always been a top dog at the top of the food chain. In Australia, the lawyers and legal systems saw themselves as being that top thing. Once you understand that now there is that take layer that goes beyond borders, not only can you introduce another option to all these developing countries that relied on the USD and by default were very much limited by whatever infrastructure they had available to them, but now we finally have an alternative to that ultimate layer. And it could not have come at a better time because there is a lot of dysfunction <laughs> within these developed countries. It's been going for a while. That's why Bitcoin is born. Do you remember the image embedded on the first block, the Bitcoin blockchain? I actually don't. I don't think so. They embedded a link to an image of the front page of the Times in the UK. And the title was Chancellor on the Brink of Second Bailout. Satoshi is or was anonymous for a reason. They would have killed that motherfucker. Like, of no course. doubt. And for all the false criticisms and challenges of Bitcoin today, the point is he had a vision. We need to escape from this system where cyclically, every 10 years, it collapses and we reward the people that caused to collapse. And we write the regulations specifically to protect these people. Here, I absolutely agree. Like all these laws, and that's what I also said, like all laws weren't designed to protect the individual. I actually had a funny fact last week. So I was teaching a workshop on the data privacy and I decided to look for some new use cases. So I had also a conversation with a friend about data privacy. And he asked an interesting question. So we were discussing Alexa and how Alexa is doing recordings. And I was like, wait a minute. If you were as a guest of apartment and you're around Alexa device, it must be illegally recording your audio. And of course I decided to ask ChatGPT about it. So I'm asking ChatGPT, is it illegal? That was really incredible that ChatGPT is trying to put, in this case, like trying to blame a device owner <laughs> for that. And I'm saying, wait a minute, how is it a false of a device owner? A device owner is not recording this audio. A device owner is not storing this audio. And according to the law, there is Electronic Communications Privacy Act in the United States that actually saying that operator, in this case, Alexa or Amazon, would obtain a consent from every single person they are recording. And they face so many lawsuits over that. Of course, there is no, there is no public outcomes. I'm pretty sure it went for a settlement and Amazon has continued doing it. But that's actually explaining and proves the point that this ECPA, this Electronic Communications Privacy Act, does nothing for individual. Even ChatGPT is trying to blame the end user. Not sorry, not the end user, the device owner. And they are secretly and illegally recording as a guest of a device owner. And imagine trying to talk and trying to win this case against Amazon with tons of resources. You're never gonna stand a chance. 
how maybe you do now use ChatGPT as your lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> no, but ChatGPT tried to say the device owner is guilty. It took me four attempts. Guilty. We're guilty. To prove it. I'm we saying brought device the lawsuit owner. and we declare guilty. <laughs> yeah. Even ChatGPT is not on the side of a device owner. And, and until I said that, how come the data privacy <laughs> that Amazon has doesn't require a device owner to take consent from the guests? There is no single way you can make RSS device owner liable in a double consent states. That is actually a really good example because normally people would say, if you don't want to be recorded, don't use Alexa. I don't have Alexa's. I don't have Alexa. Home automation is actually not that common in Australia. I don't know why. I don't know if Australians just don't give a shit or some of them, somewhere in their brain, their manipulated <laughs> little brains, they are aware that maybe Jeff Bezos in your house listening to you fuck it's a bit too much. <laughs> but the example is that right? of the guest. He is. Oh, for sure. But the example yeah. of the guest coming to a house, it's fascinating because even if the owner consented to them being recorded, they're not consenting to the guest. The owner actually should ask every single guest, but it's not happening. I'm sure that 98% of her device owners, I'm just throwing this number by myself. I don't know the actual statistics, but I'm pretty sure the vast majority of these device owners have no idea what's even happening with this Alexa device. I am so paranoid. I sit in Airbnb and it had an Alexa and I unplugged it. I was like, yeah, who is to tell me that the actual owner of the Airbnb is in smiling on me? And to the people that say, oh, you've got nothing to hide. Yes, but I didn't pay somebody a ton of money to be listening to me while I'm at work, while I'm speaking with my family. It's a classic difference between privacy and secrecy. It is not a secret what you do in the bathroom. That doesn't mean that you leave the door open for everyone to see. But anyway. But I think that's also like when they have a misunderstanding. It's not even about hiding something. It's about what is happening with their... I'm always teaching about what data is being used for. And I like to bring example of China, where I think they're doing amazing job on collecting data and using it for manipulation. They're just the kings of how to collect data and how to manipulate every single person in the country. Personally, impressed, and obviously, I don't like it. <laughs> if you are abandoning your data for no reason, the institutions have enormous data points in order to manipulate you. And it's not going to be about, as I'm sending you some message like spam and asking you to vote for a certain candidate. It's about them placing a product, maybe an advertising on the way to your job, that you will just see and never realize. It might not be even political, but it might have a message that will, like, that you will internally connect to a political message. Then it can be certain conversations around you. It can be certain stories on your social media that cumulatively changing the way you think, and you will never ever even realize that you've been manipulated. That's the beauty of data. I've got a crazy example, and this is at least eight years old. And this is not a sophisticated operator. When I was at university, I got a job for a program. It was a support program for students that were their first in the family to attend university. Such as it showed that they were more vulnerable to drop out. So it was like a 
peer-to-peer mentorship program. They got other students to check in on them, give them tips. It was actually pretty good. The program was actually so successful that they extended it to all the university, which is great for me because there was like enough hours to make some money to, to pay back the university, which is sad, I guess. But I was at a meeting. I walked out and I was like, holy shit. The university had information based on the use of the student Wi-Fi. They knew every time you were on campus, whether you actually attended your lecture and they knew with a pretty high percentage of probability who was going to fail the unit or drop out because they weren't actually attending. That's in person with a campus Wi-Fi. They also now, because they had all the lectures, all the unit resources, all the lectures, everything was online. So you could argue maybe they're just not going physically to uni, but they're still doing the things online. The information that they were gathering on the online resources was even more extreme. Like they knew. Week six, you haven't logged in once, you haven't downloaded the unit guide, you haven't opened one lecture. And there were some really interesting issues raised because they were like, should we call them and ask them if they want to unenroll? Because if you withdrew the unit before a certain date, you didn't have to pay. And there were so many fucked up ethical issues because you know that they're going to fail. But you let them do their thing and... It's a weird matrix between, honestly, I think that was the right decision. This is the West. If you want to enroll and then go on a drug binge and fail a unit, that's your fucking problem. I do not think the university should get in because if they do, the question is, where do you draw the limit? Let's say, for example, that professors start looking into this data and it starts to influence the way that they mark papers. Maybe you wrote an average paper, you're really not the brightest or best student, but they're like, oh, they tried. They spent 80 hours reading materials and shit. And then maybe someone else that they maybe just didn't go to the lectures. They may not have even seen the lectures. They just read the book. Maybe they read different materials from the ones provided by the university. They would have maybe done really well. Like their work was objectively good, but maybe the lecturer was like, fuck this guy. Who does he think he is? Maybe he's cheating. And there's just so many nightmare scenarios. I was enrolled in a lecture that the lecturer was objectively horrible. He was just not a good lecturer. He was one of those trophy professors. Fantastic, accomplished lawyer in his life. And he retired and went to the university to walk around with his big power belly. But he couldn't teach for shit. <laughs> so all the other streams were full and I stayed enrolled in his class, but I would listen to other professors' lectures. Once again, who is to tell me that this fat fuck, if somebody teaches him how to use a computer, is not going to hold a grudge against the students who now he has an unfair amount of information into your private life and your learning preferences, the way that you do things. So anyway, that is like a super simple example. And that's like, a long time ago. I don't want to imagine all the crazy data scraping that they must have on students. They must be reading your email. If we don't think about the core design of the systems that we use, I think that it would be fair to assume that it is going to be used against you at some point. I was even thinking, can you imagine being a Silicon Valley founder and going to a meeting with Facebook because they want to invest in you or acquire you? They're Everything you've written 
on your private messenger. I wouldn't even show up. I'm like, fuck it. I give up. <laughs> That's fucking drug deals, dick pics. It's just a nightmare scenario. How do we not have encryption by the public? That's actually crazy. Like the fact that university can collect this data. Like I'm honestly shocked. I didn't even realize that, yes, that's possible. That's why I don't connect to Wi-Fi anywhere, to like any public Wi-Fi, unless it's absolute necessity. But university collecting this data, I really love this example. I think that should be talked to other people because that makes them realize what's happening with their data and that's changing their perspective. Of course, now it's not about someone collecting or them not having something to hide. But the university is building prediction, either is it going to fail or not? And they don't know if or this data is, if some professor will come across this data. And I think that's an applicable example to any other industry. Like insurance companies have so much data. They're buying data from big techs. They're buying data from any other institutions that can provide them with sufficient information to determine the plan. Data privacy should be a choice. If you want to broad broadcast your data publicly and share it with these companies, it should be a choice. We don't have this choice right now because majority of people agrees to abandon this data for free. Now there is no choice for me as an individual to choose privacy settings on, let's say, Instagram or Twitter or other platforms. I don't have this choice. Because majority of people are willing to abandon their data because they don't understand. There is no transparency. They don't know what data they actually abandoning. But it's more complex because the default really matters. I am I'm a hundred percent on a libertarian principle, but the onus needs to be on the individual and it should be an opt-in system. Let's have an extreme example. I'm a libertarian. I don't give a shit. I support you. I don't support. It's literally not my problem if you want to create, say, an OnlyFans account. But that is an opt-in system. The individual chooses to publish certain content on a platform. The way in which we're gathering data now, it's actually the other way around. It's like a big tech company saying, actually, we're just going to record everything you do in your bedroom. And if you choose to, you could publish it. The issue is a gray area of we don't understand first the official way in which a company is using the data, all the terms and conditions, all the murky regulation, all the corrupt shit they're doing in Washington, D.C. For fuck's sake, Nancy Pelosi is a representative of San Francisco. <laughs> if anyone had ever doubt that the U.S. is in steep decline, Nancy Pelosi is a representative of all of big tech. Like, we're fucked. Well, the crazy thing is, then you have the second category, which is the one that I really take issue with. What are the inappropriate or the unauthorized uses of the data? There's cases all the time. There was a policeman in Queensland who used a police database to stalk an ex-girlfriend. Or I think he was like stalking like a Tinder date. If the data exists, someone under some circumstances, even if it's not envisioned by the system, could potentially abuse it. And afterwards, it's too late. And there is no protection of privacy either. As you're saying, it's like, it's not potentially being abused. It's being abused daily. In preparation for a workshop, I also updated our, some stats on the data privacy. 
And again, if people saying that regulations trying to prevent that from happening, 10% of the U.S. companies said they complied with data privacy regulations. 10% of companies admitted that they complied. And I don't know how many of this 10% lied. <laughs> so 90% know that they messed up something in the data privacy. Then we also come to other data on the bridge. There are billions of records being leaked every year. Billions. And what are we talking about? This data is being abused. Do you know who has been one of the only celebrities to ever win a privacy case in the UK litigation? I don't think I know celebrities in the UK. I've, I don't know. I, I know a few people. Oh, J.K. Rowling. Okay. And you know what her argument was? And she won? She never, never published anything about her daughter. The name of the daughter is not even public. She never had tabloids, never had a fucking magazine. Because that was the argument, right? If you're the Kardashians and you sell your daughters online and whatever, they're on every cover of magazines. The fact that I stand on the street and take a photo, like you are in the public. There is no privacy right of somebody standing on the street and they see you walking past. But J.K. Rowling never, to this day, I don't even know how old the daughter is. We, no one knows how she looks like. She's been properly like guarded and she fucking destroyed like, people that tried to dig up the information. I have to look into the details of the case, but it was really interesting because there's probably a message there around you need to put the power on the individual and for the ones that do value their privacy and that want to have control over it, they need to have the tools to A, safeguard it and B, be able to take action against others. We know that litigation is, it's a joke, unless you're Jacob Rowling or you have a billion spare dollars, that's just not going to happen for everyday people. But that's why I'm so hopeful with crypto because... We're redefining the internet. Have you spoken by any chance to Ilya about this? About what exactly? About what's happening in... Data, privacy... Not yet. I actually, I, I want to bring him on the podcast to talk about it. I'm sure he has some interesting insights. Not him, but somebody else close to the core team told me that during the early days, one of the new investors actually told them to tone down the narrative because they were pretty, pretty heavy worded against a big tech company. I don't want to speculate, but Ilya comes from Google and Skidnoth comes from Microsoft. And Ilya has never fully shared exactly the steps that led there, but his vision is super clear. A future where user owns and controls our data, the power of governance. He is a core contributor and co-creator of TensorFlow. And probably similar to Elon Musk, at some point it clicked that all this insane amount of data being collected by one company and being used to create an insanely powerful thing, it was just fucked. If you look at the top contracts of Near since the very beginning, Near Crowd is one of the top ones. It's the largest data labeling set publicly available. It's limited in the participants and uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe Russian language, whatever the case may be. But it's so interesting to see that they're building all the primitives to be able to have a system 
that at least competes or provides an alternative. Have you played around with the new social yet? I did a little bit. I think like it would be great to to do more tutorials on the near social at Denver. So I think it would be like it would be interesting content, and also would be great uh, idea for a workshop so people can like learn more user friendly experience and how you utilize near social. Near social is fascinating. We should definitely have more workshops or more activities around it because it's starting to build that social graph on a shared data layer. So if you think of all the possible parameters that you could have on a smart contract, it's getting more and more rich. So for instance, you could have, say you want to have an airdrop. You can have an airdrop of all the people that follow Ilya on your social or the people that he has posted to. It's like basic examples for now, but it's just really interesting to see how you're having more and more data on these accounts, but anyone technically can access that data to create richer experiences on top. The main features now resemble like an early day Facebook. You could poke people and follow, but the, for the widget section, which enables anyone to create simple apps, complex apps, and it's both a distribution channel, but once again, it keeps adding to that shared data layer. I don't know. I, I don't think I properly get it yet, but I get really excited. It feels like we're moving like one step past the early basic primitives and then the bullshit NFTs. And now we're like, okay, social data. There's a talk from Skidenov on Is, blockchain AI. That may be crazy. I don't know. <laughs> High expectations. That's what I hope that uh, like we will start moving towards this direction. That's what they're saying right now. With, or, and you touched on it as well. You don't have a choice when it comes to your data. It's just being being aggregated without you even realizing what type of data is being collected from you. I actually realized that I didn't care that much about data before. Before I joined our United Nations as a data scientist for financial inclusion, I wasn't working with big data that big tech has. United Nations obviously doesn't. Some departments of United Nations will have access to enormous data. But I'm saying general departments, they don't have access to crazy tons of data. But even though I was working with so far individuals with hundreds, 300, sometimes a thousand different variables on these individuals. And when I saw all these data points, and that was helpful for me to make decisions on what type of financial product can be launched there to help increase financial inclusion. My goal was to help these people, but imagine this data can easily be used in the completely opposite direction. Again, you can influence their decisions. You can make certain products more inaccessible for them. If you see that they, they are needing certain products, you can increase the price if you understand that it's a necessity. There are so many ways this data can be abused and used against these individuals. That's when they realize that this data is so powerful and this probably 0.01% of data that big tech will aggregate. And there was already use cases when Facebook was testing out if they can influence our people's emotions and mood during a specific day by just pushing a sad content or happy content. I don't want a, a media company to tell me how I'm supposed to feel today. 
I don't want to feel upset because someone else decided that I should feel upset. That's how you can create a lot of room for manipulation. Like exactly. This. We buy more shit when we're sad. <laughs> it's true. I know what you mean. That's why I love product design and why I try to send the message to empower people or inspire people to spark their imagination on what we could build with Web3. Because every single feature and detail and you can nudge people. And I think that Web3 really changes the primitives. Perhaps the biggest nudge I want everyone to get from this podcast is I can't make any claims on whether we will or we will not collect your data. But you should attend the Supermoon Clock Tower and what else is happening during near Denver. Give me all the alpha. I know that I've already booked oh. it and I'm a VIP everywhere, but I <laughs> I want to hear it from the source. For those who want to jump through a fence <laughs> at our events, it will be hard this time. Of course, we have a three-day event at the clock tower on top floors, so you will have to actually climb the tower. Probably get a helicopter or something, Spider-Man suit. If you can manage to come, yeah, come by a helicopter, so we can probably let you in. <laughs> If someone has a creative way to sneak to our clock tower, you're welcome. <laughs> Unless you're willing to climb or find this way, uh, oh, you're going to fly through upside. Submit oh, God, that goes on the record. I don't want to imagine what people will do now, <laughs> but. <laughs> okay, so there's applications on the website. What's the capacity like? Yeah, we have applications like? on the website. We have capacity 90 people at the time. Overall, we expect to have from 1,500 to 2,000 people throughout three days, because it's 11 hours each day. We have a very interesting hour. Every day we start with an open microphone podcast with Supermoon members. So if you're a Supermoon member, you can hop in, chat about your crypto journey, share perspectives on issues that we will be raising. And that's going to be also data privacy, decentralization, governance in the crypto and Web3 space. And any other ideas, any other outrage that you came across, you can hop in to Open Microphone Podcast and share your story. It's educational and engaging. It's going to be daily. After it, we're going to continue with workshops panels, and of course, our social events where people can mingle. Apart from that, we have Supermoon camps where you can actually stay for six days together with other talented professionals. You would need to apply. We are starting to onboard people outside of our members very soon. So the earlier you apply, the better because we give priority to early applicants. On top of that, of course, the big one, they're in your house. Near house will gather advanced developers, our builders and founders who will stay together in one house. And at the same time, in our Discord channel, we will be doing near house behind the scenes. So if you have any questions about near protocol, you want to learn about anything near related, you can ask from the best, the brightest from near ecosystem. It's very memeable. It's not a one night stand. It's a meaningful relationship. It's six nights. So I use it for social media. I like uh, it. It's not a one night stand. <laughs> Give us some credit. Anything as long as you don't record me snoring at night. <laughs> oh my God. During the, the new house. During the new house in Lisbon. 
I was so tired one night. I literally fell asleep like this on the uh, on the bed with my laptop on. And yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. Tired or drunk? <laughs> Definitely tired. I'll pick up my laptop when I'm drunk. <laughs> I was very confused when I got home at 4 a.m. one night, very drunk. And there were people working in the kitchen. And I was like, what time zone are you guys in? And they're just very dedicated. They're in cybersecurity. So I guess that something bad happened. But yeah, I don't know if you remember we met in the Lisbon hacker house, but the story is actually funny in the sense that the person that got actually invited was Claudio. And Claudio was like, nah, man, I'm too old for this. <laughs> I'm getting my hotel. You can go. And it was great. I was extremely grateful to be a strong second choice. And oh, your first choice. Thank you. I can definitely attest to how much you can accelerate the relationship building and the trust when you're actually sharing together. And even though we were most of the day at the conference in and out, I can probably count at least two, three with you, but definitely closer to five or six people that I would now count as close friends in the ecosystem. You probably know one of them out in New York and uh, yeah, it's just great. It would have taken a lot more time. Or maybe there would have been an acquaintance online because they post random weird stuff on Twitter. But when you actually get to share, it's amazing. Maybe it's because I spent so long working remotely from Australia. I really value having that human connection now. We are working together and we have this mission in the ecosystem, but sometimes you just want to be like a person and you share a meal and there is so much value that comes from sharing outside of the official agenda. That in the most interesting ways always keeps coming back to unblocking new opportunities. It could be two days later, two weeks later, two months later. Not only is Superman going all in on East Denver with like camps, but there's going to be a near dedicated house. I'm actually really curious. How does the dynamic work? So for the normal camps, anyone presumably from the Ethereum ecosystem or Web3 community can apply. And the near house is exclusive to near builders or how are you yeah, managing those two settings? Yeah, absolutely. So for Supermoon Camp, we are agnostic. We are selecting candidates carefully. We have usually a combination of founders, builders, and investors. So it's more, so if near house is more dedicated to builders and will be more technical. Supermoon Camp focus more on networking and relationships. Even though near house still focus on relationships, that's what you were describing. Our main goal is to create trust and help people to build friendship. Just near house will be more technical. Supermoon camp will be more on the business side with some combinations of our technical aspect. At the same time, we will have some people from near ecosystem who are staying at Supermoon camp. And of course, unfortunately, near house has a limited capacity, so not everyone could fit in. So we do have more people staying at the Supermoon camp. Sharing uh, yeah. beds. It's a polycule. We had to ask so many people if they're okay sharing a room. So we actually fully packed. We have our one room with our three founders and female builders. Sorry. We were really fully packed for near house. Every bed is being utilized. <laughs> it's good. I consistently look back. I pick up like the most random like points in time. 
And it doesn't matter when I place the compass. I'm always perplexed at how much the near ecosystem has advanced. Like I was just reminiscing on like the last ETH Denver. Paid for my own flights. I stayed in a hotel with Claudio. He had two beds. And I was walking around sharing near, had near names, onboarding people. And in hindsight, there really wasn't that much near. There is so much more this time around. And I guess that last year they did have the near lounge and we had talks. There was food. I honestly felt at home. I was like, yes, near has a presence. There's not that many of us. And there was a ton of stuff from the Ethereum community and other ecosystems that went to Harmony stuff and other projects. But this year, we have an entire day on main stage. Has that ever happened before? Has there been any other ecosystem that has such a prominent presence during East Denver? We're hosting the opening party. We're blending brands from near create without limits to Ethereum without limits, like I don't know if people have realized yet, but that to me seems like a pretty big deal. It is. I, even like NearCon, I talked to people who were at the NearCons a year before, and they were saying there were probably like 100 people, like not maybe 100, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say wrong number, I guess. <laughs> but there was a really small number of people. And this year, it was like incredible. And I was actually impressed. And like to your point, is that you come to this event and it feels like you are at home with friends. That's how I also feel. I really like how welcoming ecosystem is. I do like the approach on focusing on builders, focusing on more meaningful connections. Not there are some companies, especially during a bull market, they were spending money on a huge loud parties. I do sing parties from time to time. I born that's a good way also to put your brand name out there. But when it happens every single time and it's just pointless, endless, big parties, just burning cash. And I was talking to this, it actually was big protocols. I don't want to name them here. God, I was talking name to and shame. Name <laughs> and shame. <laughs> I don't want to shame anyone. They will, no, listen, they will understand. I think like majority of people will understand what I'm talking about. And they've been saying put that a few yeah, in they're not spending money this year on events. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> so it's, it yeah. was a weird flex. That was the downward spiral that inevitably led to the crash. We were flexing on that abundance and arrogance. Even big tech, this is not a unique to crypto. The flex for a lot of the big tech companies was headcount. Google hired 20,000 people in the last 12 months before the reduction started. So they fired a lot of people, which is horrible headlines. And I really do feel for those people missing out on those really juicy packages. But uh, the articles that I've been reading are insane. Even after the heavy layoffs that they've had, they're not even back to the original amount before the last wave of increases. That's why I feel like the fair market is great because we go back to the origins. Parties are good if you have the money, if the people are in the city etc. But I do agree that some people, maybe potentially, they lost that North Star of we get developers by getting them excited about the technology and by providing opportunities for them to get involved. And that goes through every skill in the ecosystem. 
not just by getting them really high on edibles and bringing in JTS stars. <laughs> Cannot confirm or deny, but there were some stories. As far as we're crazy, that's why like we, we made a decision with Supermoons that we are not doing Miami this year and might not be doing Miami next year unless something changes because every time we were going to Miami, it's just a big endless party. And you do some good business connections. I'm not saying that it's just only parties, that there is so much noise. There is so much lack of, I would say, seriousness, like when people would prioritize important communications over just the mingling, partying, and the doing nothing. When we talk about, and DEFCON in Bogota was actually really impressive for me. I saw, I met a lot of connections from different locations, from Europe, from Asia. They all came to Bogota and I knew that these connections who came, they're representing really serious VCs. They're looking for next big project. They're looking for talented builders and they're not looking for just flashy, loud startups that are going to disappear in a few months. They're looking for serious talented builders that are creating projects that are meaningful for community. And that's why East Denver was a logical step for us. We want to focus more on education and be among our community of people that are leading this industry and making a difference, even if it sounds corny. <laughs> that's a clip. It's good. I, other than being technically homeless, a digital moment to make it more romantic, I really enjoy going to different crypto conferences because even though they're all the same, they're all actually different. That's where you realize that culture really matters. The vibe at Ethember is unique. It is a very early community. It has always had a very strong builder focus. Things that stand out about Ethember, it's free. They've always had as a driving principle that anyone can attend. You're a university student, you're a VC handling a hundred million. It is a place where anyone can attend. They put builders first. To describe the venue last year, it was the first time I attended and I was flipping. I think it was like a car park or something. The entire building was conditioned for the conference. It felt like Disney World for geeks. The bottom floor was the main stage and there were entire floors of the car park that were for builders. Think beanbags, snacks, long tables, breakout rooms. The people that are drawn to with Denver, I'd say at least a very chunk of it because it is becoming a bit of a tourist destination. A lot of them were builders and they go there to learn about the technology, to connect with other builders. The East Denver Hackathon is actually huge. And I think it's really exciting. Once again, that really close connection between the near and Ethereum communities that this year you can actually enter the East Denver Hackathon and submit a project on near or Aurora. And there's going to be mentors and technical assistance where needed. But side note. Miami, to me, especially coming from South America, Miami, to me, has always been a place where you go after you make money. The culture there is different. It's more lifestyle. You're retiring there. You made a lot of dubious money in South America and you make it there. Like, you go to Miami to have a good time. And even if you're a normal person living in Miami with a job and shit, that is definitely not the case in Art Basel. I didn't go for that reason. I was like, I don't own an ape. I don't own a CryptoPunk. I'm not paying $27 a drink 
to listen to some asshole describe how they got airdropped $400,000 worth of ape coin. That's... No, thank you. I'm going to go watch some turtles in Costa Rica or something. I'm just not interested. Miami is definitely a crazy place. And yeah, it's also, I don't even think it's about like when you earn money, you're going there. It's about when you quickly earn money and you just want to show up. I don't like this flex culture. <laughs> it's actually an even worse category. People who don't even have money. Yes. People, like they're just renting, like you're renting Lambo for one day. You're like renting, like it's interesting, rent, renting culture. You're renting a mansion, Lambo, and like for a couple of days, you're like a millionaire, yeah. but you are not. And that's you, what I don't like. Yeah. You own one suit in a really weird color and then <laughs> you're pretending like you have money, but you're actually just going into debt and hoping somebody buys you drinks. It's weird. And look, don't get me wrong. There are very few weird things in crypto that I don't enjoy. Biggest to me is just like a new experience. But Jomo, joy of missing out, Arabazil, it's just not for me. Things that I am looking forward to. ETH Ember, obviously. ETH CC in Paris. I missed that last year. Korea Blockchain Week. I was able to attend. I loved it. I actually want to go again this year, but spend more time before and after. Nearcon, who knows, maybe Portugal, maybe somewhere else. At some point, I have to go back to Australia. So I'd like to get the community there a bit more organized. And even the smaller events, like that near Hacker House that we went to. Oh, that was great. It was small, but you get to know people. And I think the more of those events, the more traction that we can start to see in the communities. I feel like you're going to be getting an annual Supermoon Pass. Of course, we are going to be at Paris C. We are going to Korea Blockchain Week. And I'm going to be organizing a special experience because I lived in Korea for almost a year. I'm going to be organizing a special local experience to people to learn Korea. There are people that oversell and underdeliver. I think that you and Chris undersell and overdeliver. I've always appreciated that you guys are extremely humble, down to earth, put community members first. I guess that there's never been a shortage of demand. So there's no need to shout from the rooftops like the community is strong and growing organically. But I think that you've just given me a glimpse of there is an edge to having traveled around the world. And there is an edge to having built networks in these locations so that if you're only spending six days in the country, you really maximize. Because that happened to me in Korea. I spent the first week literally crying lost. <laughs> I didn't want to leave my hotel. I struggled badly. By the end, I was enjoying it and I did want to stay longer. But that's when you see the value of, okay, where is the community? Why are the experiences? Supermoon to the moon! Yeah, Supermoon to Moon and Supermoon going international, <laughs> finally. Briefly, because you've mentioned it, and I am embarrassed that I don't know. Can you let our listeners know how the Supermoon membership works? If people are interested in joining, what will be the call to actions there? If they're interested in attending some events, but maybe they're not staying at the camp or near house, can they go to the Discord, the clock tower? How can people get involved if they like what they hear? Absolutely. For a Supermoon membership, you can actually go to supermooncamp.com and there is a, a separate a section for membership. You can click on membership 
And uh, so how membership works, it gives you access to our resources, to our community. We do work, like we have a tailored approach in communicating with all our members. So it means if you need something, like you want to get access to specific resources, either it's a funding opportunity or in other companies that you're interested in partnering with, you're interested to learn about the impactful events or as it will be happening throughout the year. You can reach out to us. We will help navigate this experience. Later, we will have more structured resources that you will be able to access with your membership and, and learn, read through. For now, you can reach out to us and we help you to navigate through. Membership comes with a few important things. So this is an access to resources that I mentioned. It comes with their speaking and media opportunities. We do run Supermove Station. It's our media company. We are starting officially with new shows that will be launched on Supermoon Station. And you as a Supermoon member can join us either as a speaker, as a host, or as a contributor. You can submit a guest article, you can submit an interview, and many other things that will be open to our wider community. You also have priority access to Supermoon camps. So you will be able to onboard and know about Supermoon camps before anyone else, before we start onboarding other applicants. And later, Supermoon camps will be restricted to members only. On top of that, you have access to our events. So you will have this opportunity. You also will be notified about our event first and you will be prioritized. So everyone else for our wider events that are not members only, all members are, will be onboarded first. They always will be prioritized and they are guaranteed access if they apply early. After all members, we will be going through applications. So it gives you access to resources, network, connections, and media. So for things like Supermoon Camp in Denver, which is in super hot demand, for the Clock Tower in Denver, which was established, there is so much demand you may have to actually like parachute of a plane to crash. Members will be getting priority access to those places. Yeah. And yeah. we also have a priority line because it's a limited capacity. So for members, it's always a priority access. And how much does the membership cost? Membership cost $150. It buys you an entire year of membership. And from a second year, it will be $2 per month to retain your membership status. A bit later, we will also be introducing a membership scholarship that will be open for a future generation of our founders and builders under age of 25. They will have an opportunity to earn scholarship for membership if they're interested to contribute towards our community learn and be an active member within Supermoon, Supermoon Group. So they will have a priority access. I love it. Even though I've struggled with that transition in life when you are technically no longer eligible for the young category, <laughs> whichever way they define it, 25, 26, 28, it's, but I do love that there are, that you're able to accommodate the younger people that are probably very much riddled with this and just getting started with their careers. Look, it sounds like fantastic value to me. I will most certainly be subscribing and just to make things clear to people for someone like myself that I'm probably going to be attending every event this year around the world, definitely fantastic value. But even if you only attend one or two or a handful, it's still really good value in my eyes. When you think of the connections and all the value that can be unlocked from that, it's just really hard to put a price tag on it. 
you can correct me if I'm wrong, but seems to me like the price tag is more linked to the cost of running these events. It doesn't really begin to capture the upside to all the people attending. And I guess it's really up to you how much you want to maximize that networking opportunities and collaboration. But I think it's great value. I'm not even getting paid to say this. In this case, I like to say that this membership fee is actually the nation and contribution towards our community, our team, who is working hard to deliver uh, all these events, networking opportunities, and upcoming academy and foundation. So it's also a participation to help us to facilitate all community-related activities. So it's not only about you participating within this community, but also you supporting community and the cause. And again, our mission to bring financial and personal freedom and help founders build projects that are moving towards this mission. This is what membership is about. And there will be even more opportunities added. If you remember, you can also host your own event and you can ask Supermoon to help you to promote this event or to help you to boost this event, coordinate other activities. You can also just say, hey, I want to organize a hiking tour for 15 people after East Denver. You can do that as a member. Like Korean barbecue for me, but... <laughs> Korean barbecue, whatever you want. So we give a lot of freedom and we want to make sure we're there to facilitate other activities that are important for relationship building, that are important for the projects. And yeah, again, that's what membership is about. That's actually a much better selling point. Supporting an initiative that you like. We've seen some bad actors recently, but even if we didn't have that sharp contrast. It's just the reality of getting things started is hard. And then you have Supermoon helping it grow, but also the fact that Supermoon makes it easier for other people starting projects. So it seems like a win to me. Elena, thanks so much for all the work that you're doing for the ecosystem. I know that you have been extremely busy and it is getting late in New York City, although technically it is the city that never sleeps. New York sleeps a lot. <laughs> yeah, in winter? Every time. After Hong Kong, Korea, New York sleeps. What about Moscow? I think Moscow is more, I would say Moscow never sleeps compared to New York. <laughs> I have a, it's been a long time I haven't spoken with her, but we started together back in the day. She was from Moscow and they have no idea what the context was, but she was like, Alex, Moscow is a city that never sleeps with the same person twice. Yeah. You said it before. I remember. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what does it even mean? I don't know. I've never heard that one. <laughs> But Moscow never slips. <laughs> Maybe it says more about her than the city, but whatever. Who's judging? <laughs> Helena, it's been a pleasure. We're almost at two hours. Does it feel like two hours? Because I feel like it's been no. 20 minutes, if any. It was really amazing time. We discussed so much. Like we covered on like a fun part. We covered intense topics like data privacy. Went into all like political things, discussed near ecosystem. It was really amazing. Thank you so much for inviting me. I think it's the only way to do it. You need to have the personal aspect, like it's a human. And I really want to make sure that we have, yeah, sure, Ilya, Shevchenko. There's like, maybe like the technical leaders, the core team leaders. 
but that we're also able to put a face on a personality and to really elevate all the other builders and people doing great work. And people are drawn to different, it could be community, it could be product, it could be whatever the case may be. Because if you think about it, the Ethereum community has had, what, seven years plus, and these communities have developed organically. We're starting from scratch, and I think it's great to enable people to show their human side, to show the principles and go deep as to what drives you, to show the actual product or how it's all being translated. I never really plan it, and sometimes it's better than others, but I think it's been great. I think you're amazing, and I am honored that you came on the pod. Thank you so much. It was a fun time. I would love to have more conversation with you also in Near House. We can have a big podcast with other founders from Near House. First one of many. I'll see you soon. <laughs> see you soon. Have a good night. That's the end of another episode. As always, I just want to thank you for listening because let's be honest, you are amazing. And I also want to remind everyone that everything contained in this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast shall be construed as financial, medical, or any other type of advice. And you should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial decisions. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that you stay up to date with the latest episode. We've got a steamy hot pipeline of guests that will keep you entertained right through the bear market. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you soon. Bye.